Thank you. Um, you may not know, 40 years ago, I became a Christian through Scripture Union Ministry. Uh, when I went to a youth camp, and uh, through it, they associated me, and I went back a number of times, and it was through the Ministry of Scripture Union that I came to know the Lord. So thank you for, for sharing that. I thought Well, we're continuing the study on the book of Galatians. How many of you love chili? Chili? Chili king here? Chili queen? Yes? Do you add on chili to your food without tasting your food? Yes? Do you just add chili when the food arrives or you taste the food first and then you add chili? No? I'm the other way. I always add chili even before tasting the food. Um, and sometimes people scold me because they say, you haven't even tasted it yet. It's an insult to me because I put in so much effort to make sure the food is good and then you just add on the chili and kill it. And that's what my friend who doesn't like chili often said to me. I like the original taste. No add-on. And Paul in the epistle to Galatians is saying that there is no add-on to the gospel. There is no chili sauce on the gospel. There's no pepper. There's no extras on the gospel. The gospel, it is the gospel. So we are still in the middle of Paul's theological case to the Galatian church. After he had gone to them with the full, true, and simple gospel, they had begun to drift from it. False teachers had arrived in their midst, telling them that they needed to attach the practices of Judaism to their new faith in Christ. And soon these brand new Gentile Christians are acting out Old Testament practices in an attempt to become fully acceptable to be fully accepted in God's sight. And all of this was just abhorrent to Paul. He referred to it as a gospel contrary to the one they had received, a distorted gospel, a different gospel, no gospel, the one worthy of a curse on all who proclaim such kind of gospel who is adding on to anything to it. And we have looked at chapter 1 and 2, because the issue was that Paul did not know the true gospel and because he doesn't have the credential to preach that gospel, so he has to write chapter 1 and 2 to defend his authority and to say that his gospel also has endorsement from the apostles. And then chapter three and chapter 5 and 6, of course, when he preached the gospel of grace without add-on, the concern then is that you will abuse God's grace and take it as a license to sin and live the way you wanted it. And Paul also addressed it in chapter 5 and 6. No, no. When you experience the true gospel of grace, it will transform you from within. You won't take advantage of God's grace and continue to live in sin. And so chapter 1 and 2, he defends his authority and the gospel. Chapter 5 and 6 on uh, the concern that the gospel may be abused by living in a, in a sinful life. And chapter 3 and 4, it is main argument, the meat. And we are coming to the end part of it. But this section that we're going to cover is one of Paul's most 
uh, intimate, passionate, very vulnerable moment, acting like someone who was pleading, please. He's almost like crying. He was appealing to them. He was begging them to not go down that pathway of returning back to the law to be enslaved all over again. As the song we just sang, isn't it? My chains are gone. Leave it that way. Don't return it back to change, putting on the chain when you have been set free by Christ. So Paul is not a dry theologian. So in this part of the scripture, verses 8 to 20, Paul made a very loving appeal. It is one of the most intimate in Galatians. He referred to the false teachers only twice, but he used personal words like I, me, and you 45 times. Because he's so bleeding with his heart is almost bleeding just like a parent whose child has gone astray you you are so sad you're pleading them to return and so with a bleeding heart paul begged the galatians to stay firm in the gospel of grace and as he expressed his heart to them it was the spirit expressing his heart to them it was this this passage in other words shows us god's desire for us to stay firm in the gospel of grace. The freedom that Christ offers to us is amazing, is great. Freedom from guilt and condemnation. You can always find forgiveness in Christ. Freedom from uncertainty about our eternal future. Freedom from futility, there's a purpose. Freedom to enter into God's presence with intimacy rather than fear. Freedom from worry about the future because we know that our lives is in God's hands. Freedom from the fear of failure that paralyzes so many people. We can try and we fail. God help me. It's okay. Stand up and start again. Freedom from oppressing fear of death. So this morning, what I want to do is to give you three points of what Paul is saying in this passage. He's pleading them to three things, to stay simple, to stay free and to stay focused. Stay simple, stay free, and stay focused. So the first one is to stay simple. And verses 8 to 11, Paul wants to remind these people to keep it simple. Your faith, keep it simple. Just remember that God is your Father. As Howard has expressed just now, why God never expressed himself just in the area, area of creator or whatever, but why father? Because there's an intimate relationship there that he wants to bring across to us. So here in verses 8 to 11, Paul is trying to say, remember God is your father. Throughout your Christian journey, just remember this, that your Christianity is a relationship with God, not a religion. Keep the relationship alive. Keep it simple. Remember that whatever you go through in your life as a Christian, stick to the fact that God is your Father. There's a relationship here that is involved. And here, He doesn't want us to make our relationship with Him a complex affair, but to relate to Him as our Father. He has just taught them in the previous passage the pastor caroline last week has expounded on that god was their good father through the power of the gospel 
So Paul here is saying, to summarize these few verses, is that God is your father, you are now in a relationship with him, don't add the legal code of the Old Testament, you don't need it to, stay simple. He said, formerly, when you did not know God, you were slave to those who by nature are not gods. Before Jesus had saved them, before they knew God, they were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now, the Galatians were going back to those days of slavery. And as they did, Paul thought of them as turning back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world because they have returning to observing look at verse 9 first he said you are observing special days and months and seasons and years they went back to observing the sabbath they kept the special days of the weekly sabbath they observed the monthly new moon celebration seasonal festivals like passover Pentecost and Tabernacles. They were even inclined to keep the sabbatical and jubilee years. So Paul here is saying that why are you going back to observing? You are Gentile, by the way. You are not even Jew. You don't observe this festival. So the Jewish Christian is trying to influence them to become like them. They are back to observing special days and months and seasons and years. And so Paul was very concerned that they are back to their slavery. They were trading sonship for slavery. They don't want to be son. They want to be a slave. You are son, Paul said, and not a slave. Live under grace. You live like a son. You live under law. You live as a slave. So live as a son, Paul is saying. And then you will live under grace. Uh, Timothy Keller uh, the late Timothy Keller just passed away a couple of months ago uh, in his book booted the idea that legalism form of idolatry is worse than paganism form of idolatry. In some sense, paganism and legalism is no different in that sense. No different, legalism and paganism. But there is a difference. He says this. He said the idolatry and slavery of religion it is more dangerous, meaning to say it's legalism. Okay? Legalism is more dangerous than the idolatry and slavery of irreligion, which is paganism. Why? Because it is less obvious. The irreligious person knows he's far away from God, but the religious person does not, because they think they are in the system. They can go through the motion. You know, we all have potential, as, as, as a Christian, as we age, as we grow older in our Christian life, I always feel that you can either become a Pharisee or you can become a Sadducee. One is you become very legalistic. The other one is you become very liberal. Yeah, you, you just observe yourself as you grow older as a Christian. Which band are you towards? Are you become more and more legalistic? Or are you becoming more and more liberal? Pharisee or Sadducees? Or do you uh, find balance of love and justice in the center? Or C.S. Lewis used to say, 
prostitutes are in no danger of finding their present life so satisfactory that they cannot turn to God. The proud, the avaricious, and the self-righteous, they are in that danger. So Timothy Keller is saying that the idolatry and slavery of religion is more dangerous than the idolatry and slavery of irreligion. Legalism is worse off than paganism because you're not aware of it and you're in it. And then Timothy Keller went on to utilize the example of the two brothers in the story of the prodigal son in Luke 15. And this is what he said. I'm not sure I have this here. Yes. He said it was immoral prodigal who enjoyed his father at the end of the story. But a moral son distanced himself from his father. Why? Because he wanted his good works to give him a high standing before his dad. He was demoralized and angry when they didn't. He preferred servitude over sonship, works over grace, and law over the gospel. So Paul here is saying, remember who you are. Remember who you are. You are a child of God. God is your father. And that's why he went on to say, isn't it? He said, but now that you know God, or rather be known by God, I think he added that sentence in thinking that it is them that are trying to work their way up because they, they, they are already in that form, format of work. Or rather be known by God. How is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable forces, principles? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? Live under grace. Live under the guardianship, the, the relationship with God. And having this relationship that guides you in your life rather than just law, legalistic way of observing your life based on observance of the law. But Paul is saying, let God be your father. Based on relationship, grace is the one that guides you. So Paul is saying, if you have trusted Christ, stay current in the simple truth that God is your Father. No earning, no works. Don't let your Christian life devolve into anything less than a relationship with your Father in heaven. Christ shed his blood to win you that position as a son. Cherish it. Don't allow external forms of Christianity to take the price or take the place of joyful communion with the living God. If you are a slave mentality, you will view God as a master, which is performance-based. You will feel exam and monitored by God. Yep. You, you will obey to not break God's law in fears of God's rejection or God's punishment. You'll be anxious in God's presence because you're always conscious that you've done wrong. That is when you are under the slave mentality. 
but you live as a son under grace, you view God as a father, as your father. And it is love-based. Your motivation and all that is based on that relationship. You're, you feel free and accepted by God, even in your time of failure. You obey to not break the father's heart, because there's a relationship involved. And you always rest in the Father's presence. So external-wise, you may be the same, but internal motivation plays a big part. And you are a son, you are not a slave. You've been set free. And that is why A.W. Tozer many years ago said, we are in an age of religious complexity. The simplicity which is in Christ is, is rarely found among us. In its place are programs, methods, organizations, and a world of nervous activities which occupy time and attention but can never satisfy the longing of the heart, the shallowness of our inner experience, the hollowness of our worship, and that servile imitation. So stay... What? Stay? stay simple. God is your father. Remember that throughout your Christian journey, stay simple. Remember you are in a relationship. Secondly, Paul is saying stay free. Remember that Christ secures your freedom. When you live in a relationship with God as your father, Paul said stay free that way because Christ has secured your freedom. Don't go back to slavery. Let me just read this entire passage to you, and I hope I have time to unpack it because there's almost like a sermon within a sermon. Paul said, I plead with you, brothers and sisters, become like me, for I became like you. You did me no wrong. As you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. And even though my illness was a trial to you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcome me as if I were an angel of God, as if I were Christ Jesus himself. Where then is your blessing of me now? I can testify that if you could have done so, you would have torn out your eyes and, gave, and given them to me. Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? Now, how many of you us can identify with that last sentence that sometimes you speak the truth to someone you almost become like an enemy because nobody wants to hear truth anymore and here I, I feel like I want to give you four things in this passage here how to remain free we'll talk more about it in chapter 5 and 6 which illustrate more but in this part of it as Paul is is pleading with them and, and almost go back to history what actually happened and in it he gives us four things that how to remain staying free He's, first and foremost in order to stay free you must be grace driven grace driven throughout your life you must be grace driven the first step to freedom is to remain grace oriented all the time just like paul 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 says i plead with you brothers and sisters become like me he was a Jew, not only he was a Jew, he was a Pharisee, he lives like one for many years, and now he lives like a Gentile. He do no longer live under the rules and the law, and he lives like one now. He lives free. He says, it becomes like me. 
I've abandoned all this. My personal righteousness apart from Jesus is totally bankrupt. I know it. I've been there. I've done that, Paul said. He was convinced that a law-free approach to the Christian life was the right approach. He did not feel he could earn anything in God's sight because his view of God, human brokenness, and his own sin were too high to believe anything he did could merit God's favor. And therefore, he clung to the cross and he applied Christ's freedom to the way he lived. So the first one is to be grace-driven. Live freely. And the second thing Paul talks about is, for I became like you. Second ways to live freely is to be culturally flexible. Paul said, become like me, for I became like you. Paul became like a Gentile. He no longer observed those religious laws prescribed in the Jewish culture. He lives like the Gentile. He was culturally flexible. And I think this is one thing that uh, Christians need to observe as well, because a lot of time we judge uh, out of ignorance. Uh, people who are mission works and all that will appreciate what it means to be culturally uh, flexible in a sense, willing to become like the Galatians, like Paul, in order to reach the Galatians. Some Christian think Christianity must be expressed in the same way everywhere, at all times, for all people. We could distinguish between what is cultural and what is biblical. But anytime we tie the gospel to the specifics of any culture or custom, we have removed it from other cultures and customs, which is, sometime, which is something Jesus would not do. The gospel has a cultural flexibility to it, rebuking and affirming various aspects of every society on earth. It can work anywhere, and Christians who, went to, who want to stay free will learn to adapt to their culture in godly and appropriate ways. I'm not saying that all culture we should adapt. Even missiologists have studied their sixth level. The maximum you can go is until level four. Beyond that, you're almost like them, which is you have already forfeited and diluted uh, and betrayed the gospel. So they always say that you can go maximum only to level four. Beyond that, you actually has betrayed the gospel. So you're going to be sensitive and, and, and of that. So in order to stay free, you have to be culturally flexible. Thirdly, uh, it focus on the inner person. Here Paul recalled about himself. He said he went to Galatia, he was taken care by these people. We do not know exactly what was Paul's illness. It could be because he was beaten in Iconium, and then when he went to the next city, they looked after him. It could be that he had a malaria, but some most scholars believe that he had some eye problem. He got eye problem because of his road to Damascus, where the bright light appeared to him, and he was blinded for three days. So most scholars believe he has some sort of an eye problem. Even in Galatian, that he said that he has to write it. He wrote this letter. Most of the time, he dictate through someone, but particularly Galatian, because it is the first epistle and such a important issues at hand. He actually write it with his own hand. Towards the end, he will tell us that. And uh, so most people think he got eye problem, and that is why towards the end of this text, he says. 
what then is your blessing of me? I can testify that if you could have done so, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. So we do not know exactly what was Paul's illness, but nevertheless, the people, Galatians, they embrace him, they look after him, they treat him like, like as if an angel uh, of God, as if I were Christ Jesus himself. And, uh, and so I think that the, the term that we need to remain free is to focus on the inner person. Many times we are captured by false teachers based on their personality or their charismatic nature, based on presentation. But uh, we need to go beyond that and look at the character and the inner life of that person and instead of just the external presentation and all that. And, and did you know that, I mean, there are not many literature about what it was the appearance of Paul. For that matter, what is the appearance of Jesus, you know? Um, but there is only one document that talks about the appearance of Paul in the second century. Uh, is in the apocryphal text called the Acts of Paul and Telcla, if I pronounce it correctly. And it is sort of a comical description, but imagine Paul this way, because they were saying that this person is going to meet up with Paul and they're writing to describe Paul to them. How does this person look like? And it says, a man small in size, bald-headed, bow-legged, stalky, and eyebrows meet, rather long nose, and full of grace. I don't know how, how to observe someone who is full of grace, but, uh, but that was being described of Paul. And if you read Second Corinthians, he was not very impressive as well. That is why when he left that place, um, there was a lot of attack about Paul, and Paul has to defend himself in Second Corinthians. It's all about defending his apostleship, uh, because they have been absorbed by this charismatic, uh, wonderful, great personality, the presentation, and Paul is, is say, I'm weak, you know, and all that. So we do not know. So the third thing in order to stay free is to focus on the inner person, so that you will not be led astray by false, as, as what they did, they embrace him as who he is. Embrace him as who it is. And the last point is receptive truth. Have I now become your enemy by telling the truth? In order for us to, to uh, stay free, it's always to receptive to truth. Uh, as difficult as it is, listen to those closest to us. The closest person to us will always speak truth to us. Don't just listen to your friends. Listen to those who are closest to you. They are the one who loves you. They are the one that will speak the truth to you, and we've got to stay on the side of truth. So stay simple, God is your Father. Stay free because Christ has secured your freedom. And thirdly, Paul is pleading to them to stay focused. He says, Stay focused. Remember, the goal is Christ formed in you. Christ form in you. That is the ultimate goal. There are three words that we mention many times in Christian circles. Justification, sanctification, and glorification. These are the three words we all need to learn as a Christian, at least understand what it means. Justification deals with 
the penalty of sin. It deals with the story of how are you being declared righteous before God? How can you be accepted by God? By what? By your works? No, Paul is saying no. Throughout gospel is we are justified. We are declared righteous by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And so justification deals with the penalty of sin. God declare you as righteous. When you believe in Jesus, palm, you are righteous. Status why you're righteous, but in terms of your real person, you haven't been righteous yet. Yeah? You're still just as sinful, but status why, because of Jesus Christ, you are being declared righteous. You're accepted by God because of Jesus Christ, and therefore we call Jesus our Savior. And then, one justification. Most of us are in this stage called sanctification. The minute we became a Christian, we are in this phase called sanctification. Sanctification deals with the power of sin, which is as we become Christian, as we walk with the Lord, when we cooperate with Him, we walk in the Spirit, we read the Scripture, we come for prayer meeting, we, we serve God, use our gifts, we, we allow God to mold us and shape us through trials, through difficulties, through challenges, molding us, shaping us. So it deals with the power of sin. And this will end the day when you die. Until the day you die, God is still molding us. As uh, Ruth Graham, uh, Billy Graham's wife, in her tombstone, when she dies, construction completed. Thanks for your patience. So this is the whole life here on earth is sanctification. It deals with the power of sin. And then glorification is we will save. We will be saved from the presence of sin. There will be no more sins when we eventually uh, see Christ. So these are the three words. So Paul is saying here, we are, stay focused. Christ is molding in you. Don't slide back to just observing the law those are just external changes. What is more concerned is your internal changes. Because internal changes go a bit further. It covers your motivation. You don't do things just because, oh, I have to do, so and so is watching me. You know? I do it because I love Jesus. I want to use my gifts to serve Him. It becomes a motivation factor that achieves far greater what the law can help you to achieve. So Paul is saying, those people are zealous to win you. Those false teachers, they are zealous to win you over, but for no good. What they want is to alienate you from us so that you may have zeal for them. That is always the mark of a cow, isn't it? Control. Yeah? Control is always the first mark of a cow. They control your behavior. They control your movement. They control how much you must give to church. They monitor you whether you give your offering or not. They are out there to control your every movement. That's always the first sign of a cult. They want to alienate you, Paul says. It is fine to be zealous. We want you to be zealous, provided the purpose is good, and to be so always not just when I am with you. That means there are already the true changes that are happening within you. My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth, until Christ is formed in you. How I wish I could be with you now and change my tone because I am perplexed 
about you. Christ is forming you. Sanctification. Be patient. Stick on the side of grace because grace will always produce true changes and lasting changes. Law, maybe immediate change. Don't do, you don't do. Don't see, don't touch. All right. But it may not produce lasting change, long term change. So live on grace, you may be slow, but you achieve long term results. Live under law, you may get instant result, but probably short term. Probably short term. So you are no longer a slave, Galatians 4 7 say, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Steve Kemp, a singer, said, We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and in Christ alone. Let me see what I have. And since there is no room for human merit, there can be no grounds for human boasting. So, my friend, stay simple. Remember, God is your Father. Stay free. Remember, Christ secures your freedom. Stay focused. Remember, the goal is Christ forming you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, apart from works. Thank you, Lord, for your grace. Thank you for saving us, redeeming us. May we continue to cooperate with you, work with you, surrender our lives to you, submit our lives to you, and your Holy Spirit will work within us and form Christ in us. Thank you, Lord. To God be the glory. Amen. Shall we stand as we sing this song?